Here on Swings and Mishes, we only bring you the very best content with the Miami Marlins and Major League Baseball. And if you want to get yourself into a very good car, what you need to do is make sure you head on over to Happy Car Sales, 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. And the phone number is 954-800-2449. I have been buying cars personally from Louie, the owner, for more than a decade. And he wants me to let you know that whether or not you have good credit, bad credit, or no credit whatsoever, it simply doesn't matter. He's got his full inventory online at happycarsflorida.com, and all of the financing is done in-house. Again, it is happycarsflorida.com, 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale, and Louie's phone number is 954 954- 8002449 if the car that you want is not in his inventory he will get it for you happycarsflorida.com 9548002449 hello mlb fans and welcome to the first episode of the Marlins offseason, but the MLB postseason here of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined as always by the informidable Craig Mish. Craig, how are you doing on this fine, fine, fine Thursday morning? I'm doing well. It's very exciting. The first two wildcard games in the postseason definitely lived up to the billing. And, and I thought, especially with the game, really all the teams except for Washington, who was built to win, but you consider all of the things that happened with Milwaukee losing all of their offensive players, uh, you know, Yelich not playing, and Shaw underperforming, and Aguilar trade, they still got this far. And I really take my hat off to them. And without a doubt, you look at, look at the, what the Rays have been able to accomplish here, being competitive like Oakland has every year, lower payrolls for these teams. And if you're a Marlins fan, I mean, I think that's the future of what you're kind of looking at. I haven't been been given any indication that the Marlins are ever going to have a payroll in the hundreds of millions. So the right. sustainability is going to come from contracts and and maybe adding pieces here and there. But you know, I, I don't. I, this is kind of the the format I think that the Marlins are going to have to take to get there is go the route of Tampa, go the route of Oakland. And I give uh, Tampa a lot of credit because the, the money that they did spend this offseason was for the guy that came through for them in that big spot last night in Charlie Morton. Yep. So good job by them, no doubt about that. And uh, now we'll see <laughs> really exciting games, I think, heading into the postseason as well. Yeah, and we even saw former Marlin Nick Anderson out there for the Rays uh, last night as well. Yeah. So that, that was kind of cool to great. see Anderson. He's been phenomenal for them. Yeah, he's been a big, a big addition to them. At the time that they made the trade, you know, looked great for the Marlins for sure. Right. Uh, adding Jesus Sanchez and Ryan Stanek, who pitched Stanek pitched very well, by the way, the last few weeks of the season. So it gives you some optimism going into next year. I don't know that he'll be uh, a closer of the team, but he could be a high leverage guy for sure. Mm-hmm. I, it looks like he can. Uh, but Nick Anderson has done exactly what the Rays needed to do. And I think the Rays at the end of the season, if they had to go back and ask themselves the question, was it worth it making that trade? We're not going to know for years because we'll have to see what Jesus Sanchez ends up being. But the Rays now have Nick Anderson in tow as their seventh or eighth or maybe even ninth inning guy. Trevor Richards, although he wasn't on the postseason roster, you would think that he'll get another opportunity to succeed with them next year. And the direct result of making that trade with Miami was having Anderson in a big spot in in the late innings. And they 
got to the wild card. They won the wild card game. And I think that even if they lose in this upcoming next series, I think it ends up being a successful season for them. Yeah, it does. And, and that's actually a nice transition to talk about the Marlins roster a little bit. And some of the things that we saw from the Marlins this year, um, we're going to break down sort of by position group um, and a few other extra questions. But, but before we do get into that, Craig, you know, are there any overall things that you just want to point out about the Marlins 2019 season that, you know, when, when recapping the year are sort of your first thoughts that come to your head uh, in regards to, you know, what you thought about this season, whether that be, you know, management, whether that be, you know, the front office, whether that be on the field, any sort of initial thoughts before we start breaking things down? I, I thought in my expectation was the, the record would have been better at the end of the season. I think I had them winning 66 games and, and they fell well short of that. There were patches of the season that were fun to watch and there were patches of the season that were almost impossible to watch. And I think that there's, there were a lot of decisions along the way that were curious. And I thought that there was, it was spring training, you know, going back to that, I think that the right decision was made at that time that, uh, that I suppose that they were deadlocked. And I've told this story before on the podcast, but they were deadlocked in terms of making a final decision as to who to give the opportunity to, whether that was Peter O'Brien or Garrett Cooper. And thankfully there were some, people in the organization that really wanted to see Gary Cooper play. And I think that you could circle his name as somebody that I think that despite some of the, the injuries that he's had is going to play a big factor in this, on this team next year and on in the offense, at least until late when Diaz is ready. But I, I, I think Cooper could end up hitting a lot more home runs next year than he did this past year. So that going back to spring training was, I thought important, um, you know, as the season went on in terms of the starting pitching April and May, were very positive because they had their starting five pitchers out there each and every time. And I think Mel Stottlemyre Jr. did a great job getting them ready on a day-to-day basis. And then, and then Jeremy, unfortunately, as the season kind of played out, pitchers got tired outside of Sandy, Sandy Alcantara, and it made a very tough, almost to me, unwatchable August and September for this team. I know a lot of it was put on the fact that they made those trades and lost depth from their starting pitching with Gallen, and lost depth from their bullpen by losing Nick Anderson. And they want to throw Trevor Richards name in there with losing depth, but come on. I mean, he yeah. was a starter up until the point he got traded. Like he was basically a starting pitcher. So right. uh, I like Trevor and I hope he succeeds, but I don't, I don't think that moving him was, they moved, they removed him from the rotation because he wasn't pitching well. So we can't use him as, as depth because then we could use Hector Noessi as saying that he was depth too. Sure. They both, essentially we're not getting anybody out for a while uh-huh. so it was I mean it, it was okay for me my my more concern is for obviously 2020 because to endure another 100 loss season to me would be very tough from somebody who covers the team as much as I do but enjoyable overall for the most part I'll never complain about watching baseball or being able to cover baseball I feel honored and blessed to be able to do that with the Marlins but I hope for the fans perspective that they have a lot more to look forward to next year. Yeah, obviously I feel the same in terms of um, feel, feeling grateful to be able to watch baseball as, as a profession. Baseball for free. Um, yeah. Ice I mean, cream for free. <laughs> they, just I, think I about complain it. about this. Yeah, exactly. Um, so as we, do, as we do dive in, you know, you, you hit on some of the key names here, but, but as we do dive in, why don't we start with the, with the infield? Um, you know, we saw Starlin Castro's season, Miguel Rojas, Brian Anderson. We, we can even group Alfaro as a catcher in with the infield. Um, and then, obviously, the late season call-up of Isan Diaz. 
guys like John Birdie, um, you know, Garrett Cooper was playing first base and right field. You know, as we hit on these guys, and maybe you do want to just lean more on Anderson, Rojas, and Castro here, but, you know, what were your thoughts on the infield overall as you looked at, you know, this season and, and maybe beyond? I, I think the infield gets a, a relatively good grade. Uh, Cooper being someone that the organization defined as a player that they wanted to give an opportunity to. I would say that he at the very least met his expectations for this year, but I, I would say one of the rare players on the Marlins who statistically went above his expectations this year. So I would certainly grade him out very high. Brian Anderson has become a player that can play third base and right field. And if not for the injury right. at the end of the season, he would have had another month and a half of compiling more statistics to build his case for being one of the players that you could potentially build around. Uh, I don't think that Anderson is a superstar. I don't know that he is an all-star yet, mm -hmm. but he is a very good player who on another team would probably have much better numbers. And I think that you could pencil him in without a doubt. I would put him at third and leave him there and not you know, jerk him around with right and third. I would just right. put him in third and that's it because it's important to have a good third baseman. But he would grade out high for me. Miguel Rojas had a really good year. And all and, and you put that together uh, with John Birdie coming up and doing a really good job. I think that was an overwhelming positive for them this year. So Cooper and Anderson and Birdie uh, and Miguel Rojas, I want to make sure I get him in, and Miguel Rojas, all very positive. So that outweighs the negative. What was the negative? The negative was JT Riddle did not perform again. Uh, right. at shortstop and they were forced to send him down to the minors kind of recreate him put him in the outfield that didn't work out again it would be very surprising for me to see him in the organization but we got to call it how it is Jeremy they wanted Riddle to be a guy he did not turn out to be he got an opportunity we thought there'd be some platooning with him and Rojas uh, that did not pan out right. Riddle probably would be best to go to another organization and get an, a fresh look and a new opportunity and Isan Diaz again got to call it how we see it Diaz although he definitely looked better as time went on committed a ton of errors mm -hmm. yes he provided arguably one of the top three moments of the season hitting that home run it was very emotional to see him right. do that for sure and his family and his dad and those are all great stories but I would hope that Isan Diaz would be the first one to tell you that there has got to be a lot of improvement going into next year uh, his ability to get on base toward the end of the year was great struck out a lot more than I anticipated made a lot more errors than I would have ever anticipated and if we're setting the bar of Keston Hura, which I think some people have talked about on Milwaukee, then there's got to be a big jump from this year to next year. I still have my concerns about him hitting some left-handed pitching. I would like to see Miami bring in someone just to ensure that there is a option off the bench. Maybe it's Birdie. Maybe it's Rojas playing uh, against some left-handed pitching. I do think Diaz will get better. I'm of the belief you don't go from hitting the bucks 70 to 270. But I would guess that there will be some improvement with him next year. So uh, Diaz, not an overwhelming negative. He was a rookie, but he fell below the expectations that I had for him clearly when he got called up. It did not go as well as I thought it would. Right. And then, and then there was the enigma also of, of Starlin Castro, who you know, started the year. We spent so much time talking about how disappointing the start of his season was and ultimately ended up with, with a pretty decent year, you know, all things considered and set a career high in home runs. Although it did feel like every player in major league baseball was setting a career high in home runs with this year's ball. But, 
you know, overall, as you, as you mentioned, I think for me, the biggest bright spot was obviously Miguel Rojas certainly turning into what looked like an everyday, um, you know, a consistent everyday infielder for you. And so at the very worst, he could be on a good team, someone that is playing that utility role and obviously a great guy to have around the ball club and, and, you know, worth mentioning uh, the moment that he had with, with Martin Prado and Starlin Castro taking out Prado in the last game of the year. It was Yeah, for sure. And, and Prado, and we wish Prado well with whatever he ends up doing. I don't anticipate him being back and talking to Prado before the end of the season. Uh, Prado did not anticipate coming back. Right. And, and, and uh, I, I do believe that his career will continue or the attempt will continue. But uh, Prado shared to me that he just wasn't sure or – or potentially when we, I, when I said goodbye to him at the end of the year, he said in all likelihood it will be with, you know, right. it could be with somebody else. I won't go to say a hundred percent, but he seemed to think that this could be the end of his playing days, at least uh, in Miami, but we'll have to see what they end up doing. Everyone wants to play the narrative of him being a coach and stepping right in. And he's a nice guy and you should play that narrative, but is that realistic? I, I, I can't say if that's realistic at this point in terms of Castro, this is something that I want to say about him mm -hmm. and and, I, and this is maybe the difference between me potentially and other people who host, who do podcasts, who do these takes. I, and and I'll, I'll tell you dead honest, I have no idea what happened with him in the first half and the second half. I have no yeah. clue. I don't know why he was uh, war statistically the worst player in all of baseball in the first half Crazy. and phenomenal in the second half. I don't have the answers. I don't know why all of a sudden he started hitting all these home runs why he started launching the ball more did he change his philosophy something mental something physical i did not get an answer on that no one has ever provided an answer with that except for just laying out the stats which is not fair because this season is from 1 to 161 to 162 and by the way the second half of the season didn't look like anything of the, any of the other seasons that he's had either with hitting right. more runs so i think it is fair to say on this podcast me craig mish saying I don't know what in the bleep happened with Castro from the first <laughs> half of the second half. I don't know. Congratulations to him. He's earned himself another year in the big leagues for sure. Someone should take a shot on him. He definitely played his way into another contract. I had some concerns that that may not have happened. But why am I going to sit here and BS you or lie to you and tell you that, oh, well, here's exactly what happened with Castro. He decided that he was – no, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Right. That's it. That's all I got on him. Sorry. It was one of the strangest uh... – changes from a first half to a second half especially considering the way that that had all sort of gone down from the beginning um but yeah and, and by the way at the beginning of the season uh somebody said to, somebody had asked me i think either on the podcast or question the marlins mm -hmm. they don't have any professional players i said starlin castro is the best player on the team yeah starlin castro should be an all-star and he's a really good player and i was proven completely wrong in the first half and it was as, as bad a first half as anybody could have but right. in the second half he wasn't just good he was above what he's always been, like right. even beyond that. I mean, this is not regression. This is not improvement. It's unexplainable. And, yes. and so I'm not going to sit here and try and do it when I don't know the answer to it. I'm, I, I, I can't give it to you. Someone you know will have to provide me with those answers. You can follow me. Tell me why. Sometimes uh, I have no idea. Sometimes the only logical explanation is baseball. So as we move, as we move to the outfield, um, and, and we talk about the outfield for the team. Obviously, um, there were some ups and downs with this group. Um, if you do want to group in Brian Anderson and Garrett Cooper into, into this group, as they did primarily play most of the right field, you can do so um, and use some of those same overwhelming positives with them. 
Um, you look at some of the platoons out and left. You have, you know, uh, Curtis Granderson. You have Harold Ramirez, Austin Dean. You know, Lewis Brinson in center. Manieri Sierra at the end of the year. Um, you know, Cesar Puello, Puello, who was with the I team. Forgot about him. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, what are your thoughts on the outfield this year? Obviously, it's got to be a little different than, than how you feel about the infield. Yes, yeah, poor a grade as you could give would, would be the outfield. And I'm not putting Anderson in the grade in the outfield. And I'm not putting Cooper out there because they were played out there, I think, more out of necessity. Yep. Miami may have had some early ideas in the season to play Neil Walker exclusively at first base. But when it became more evident that Cooper was more suited for first, they smartly shifted and put Cooper more at first base. And unfortunately, that meant less playing time for good guy Neil Walker, who I like very much and hope he's able to continue his career. He's been nothing but great to me and nothing but great to the game. So certainly root for him. Um, Curtis Granderson, nicest, one of the nicest players in the history of the game. Uh, if he decides to keep playing, uh, I... I it would be a mistake statistically for him. I, I believe that his, his wonderful career uh, has come to an end, in my opinion. I, I, he just did not have a good year. Uh, Lewis Brinson, who the Marlins decided to give another opportunity to, should not be given another opportunity at the big league level. I, I, I think that ship has sailed. And I hope Brinson can go to another organization or maybe even stay in the Marlins organization at some point. But the, the numbers just don't lie. I mean, no yeah. runs. No home runs yeah. whole season. I mean, he and Billy Hamilton are the only guys in all of baseball with their plate appearances to not hit a home run. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just, it's over for me with him. Harold Ramirez has, was a nice story, and I think that he's cultivated a role on the team. I think it would be an epic mistake for the Marlins to count on Harold Ramirez doing what he did this year again next year. Like, like this would be the Peter O'Brien mistake if they do this again. Yes. Harold could certainly start. He could be a guy uh, that you want on your team. He could put together some nice at-bats potentially. But at the beginning of the year, there were two players that I was told to look out for that could make an impact at the big league level. Harold was one. Gabby Guerrero was the other. So one for two on that for those kind of strange off-season weird signings yeah. that they plucked off out of nowhere. And if you're going one for two and batting 500 on guys like that that you pick up out of nowhere and do well, you deserve credit. Marlins deserve credit for that Harold Ramirez signing. He's become a, a viable player. Uh, in terms of other outfielders, we didn't get to see any of Monte Harrison. So no, that turned out to be uh, nothing. Uh, Austin Dean, in my opinion, should have been given more of an opportunity to play and not jerked around all season between the big leagues and the minor leagues. I think he may have found more of a role potentially at first base. If he's not with the Marlins, I hope some other team, especially maybe in the American League, takes a shot on him. I don't know if, if, if Dean will be back in the organization or not. I hope he is, of course. He's part of our show. I would right. love to see him. He had a great September. And as I've said before, if we're making statements last year on guys who've had great Septembers, then isn't that fair that we should be doing that this year as well? Why, exactly. is, Dean, why is Dean not in the same category as Lewis Brinson last year? after having the September that Brinson did, he was optimistic. But I'm also realistic with Dean, too. Dean's got to be more consistent. Can't let things get to his head a little bit, and I think that happened a little bit with him. Mm. Uh, so uh, disappointing to not see him get as much playing time as I thought that he was going to, and, and he did not. Uh, a lot of kudos have been going around to Magnera Sierra, uh, who I don't think is, to me, uh, prototypical uh, uh, everyday player in the big leagues. I think he's a fourth outfielder, although let's give him credit. He had a nice September and he can run a little bit. Great. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, until Don Mattingly shows me that he's going to be committed to stealing bases, which he's never done. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, I mean, Birdie's been, I, I think Birdie may have had more stolen bases under Don Mattingly than any player he's managed in the last 10 years. Like, right. honestly, like right. I'm, I'm wrong about that, but I, but yeah. I, it feels like that. It feels like no one ever has the green light. Um, you know, Brinson certainly never stole any bases here either, which is, which is crazy to think that he could have done that. But uh, so Sierra to me is a fourth outfielder. So if you're asking me in the off season, what they need to attack, if it's that, and I wouldn't put Anderson and Wright to, to stunt that, uh, I think Miami has to go out and sign at least two quality outfielders this offseason, yep. major league baseball outfielders with some punch. They have to do it. And if they don't, they're going to be back in this situation again, w- mixing and matching guys that shouldn't be in the big leagues. So hopefully they do that. Very low grade, uh, Jeremy, for the outfield. Right. It, it was good news to see guys like Harold Ramirez and John Birdie contribute from outfield spots. But, at, you know, like you said, really – Harold Ramirez would be best suited as a fourth outfielder that could play all three positions and, and be able to come off the bench and hit a little bit. So, yeah, and Harold Ramirez can start 50 games. Oh, there's no the reason he couldn't. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm fine with that. But you can't go can't be only as saying if what and ask yourself what happens if Harold has a sophomore slump, which a lot of guys do. Exactly. What happens? What happens then? Right. Oh, well, you can't you, be caught off our answer. We're signing Pueyo again? Like, come right. on. And you can't be caught off guard the same type of way that they were very caught off guard with Brinson. Lewis Brinson. Yes, yeah, very exactly. caught off guard. And so, you know, when that happens, you, you kind of why were they stuck caught that off guard? I don't know, but they were. Um, so before we do get to the pitching, uh, thoughts on Jorge Alfaro's year? I know we never really got to that with with the uh, infield or the outfield. Really, him and Brian Holiday, for that matter, we could discuss here. Who? A holiday certainly overachieved in terms of I think what the overall expectations would have been. He had a phenomenal year as the backup catcher. Yeah, yeah. Holiday, I, I hope gets a major league contract with some team next year. I thought that last year and he did not. He had to work his way back into the big leagues. Uh, Chad Wallach's future is certainly a little bit uncertain with all the concussions that he's had. Wallach mm-hmm. showed some really nice things offensively as well as defensively, but his future has to be in doubt somewhat, I think. And I hope Holiday is back here for sure. Right. But that's not a guarantee. I thought it was a guarantee after the way he played last year defensively, but it was not. Maybe Miami will give him an opportunity out of spring training to make the team. He got kind of a raw deal at the end as they let him go. Uh, Alfaro is pretty much exactly who I thought he was going to be. Yep. Uh, Alfaro is going to be the streakiest hitter on the Marlins moving mm-hmm. forward. He'll have weeks where he'll hit three home runs. He'll have months where he gets three hits. And, and, uh, and until that there is some significant adjustments made to that, uh, I think that he is a perhaps slightly above average catcher in Major yep. League Baseball with, of course, being very young and room to improve. But I don't think that there is more to it than that. And look, they have some kids in the minor leagues who they're cultivating as well. Alfaro, to me, is a guy that you feel very comfortable as your starting catcher. But I don't see him as like a future all-star type. Uh, right. Defensively, he's... Got a great arm. He's okay behind the plate. Some balls get by him too, but he's fine. He's fine on the team that the Marlins have, yeah. and even moving forward, uh, I I could go through the thirty teams in Major League Baseball and find fifteen catchers who I would not want, and I'd want Alfaro, and I probably could find fifteen catchers who I would want above him. He's right in the middle. Yeah, that was exactly how I felt about Alfaro, and obviously I I was someone that was high on him at the start of the year for you know, for all the fun reasons. Um, but, but the one thing that I did really enjoy about watching Alfaro this year is that regardless of his um, 
success at the plate, even in the, in, in the times where he was struggling significantly, he was always, always, number one, really trying, and it didn't really affect his defense. You know, there were moments where he had passed balls, et cetera, like any catcher. Um, but it, the thing that was always nice is he busted out of the batter's box oh, yeah. more than any yeah. catcher I've ever seen in my life. And he's got real speed. So I, yeah, you know, he, I enjoyed he's, watching. He's an above. He's a slightly yeah. above average catcher, exactly. with, but a young catcher. Mm-hmm. Not in the, like, you know, like Jonathan Lucroy was always a above average catcher. Right. And, and, and had some power years, good defensive years. And I think that if Alfaro has a Jonathan Lucroy career, then Great. that would be successful. And the Marlins would take that right now. But, you know, in that trade, they're clearly counting on the other guy that got the deal to be the star. And we'll see if that ends up uh, working out and potentially next year. But yeah, I no beef at all with, with Alfaro. Let's not make him out to be great. Let's also not look at his slumps and say, he's not good. He's, he's in the middle and maybe a little exactly. bit above that. That's it. Yeah, it's perfect. And um, as we move, as we move, instead of going to the, to the starting pitching right away, I'm actually going to start with the relievers because that I feel like will be a quicker conversation. Oh yeah. It's an, it's uh, an F it's an F and we can move right on from that. It's, it's the lowest grade you could possibly give. Once they, once they made those deals, nobody showed me anything out of that bullpen. Stanek, the last couple of weeks, was, was fine. Uh, Conley won't be back with the organization. It just times up, basically. And maybe he'll succeed somewhere else. I could see that, but it's, it's just not happening here for him. Arania, uh, I don't see. I, I just don't see it working as, as being the closer. They gave that a shot, but I'm, I'm just not feeling that. Maybe I'll be proven wrong with that next year. And am I missing any names that that would come back in the bullpen next year? Uh, maybe Tyron Guerrero. No, no. no, uh, no. As I'm literally looking through a list, uh, there's Quijada, there's Moran, there's Kinley, um, no, no. Austin Bryce. Yeah, uh, Bryce was okay. Bryce was Bryce was better. Yeah, than but the health is going to be. You know, you can't be sure with the health there. But yeah, I I would bring. Uh, I, I could see, man, they're going to have to get like eight new bullpen guys. Yeah. I, I could see Stanek being back. I could see Quijada being given a chance again as a lefty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Bryce also, I, I would, on, a, on the cheap, I could see that happening. But they're, what they're going to have to do is not spend a lot of money, but they're going to have to get maybe uh, a guy on a one-year, two, three million dollar deal, something like that. And that's... That's kind of the way I would do it. A name that I brought up the other day from Milwaukee was like Drew Pomerantz. Right. Miami is like so adverse to doing this, but like what they need is this, that, that kind of lefty swing man, a guy who can come in the sixth and also pitch the seventh. Yep. Whether it's a lefty or like Nick Anderson, like Nick Anderson, they're going to need to reacquire a guy like Nick Anderson on the cheap, a one-year deal or two-year deal. That's, that's what they're going to need. And, and, and potentially maybe a closer also in the ninth inning. And again, because everyone's so familiar with Romo, uh, you know, everyone, oh, they'll just bring Romo right back, right? Okay. Well, after Sergio Romo is now going to the Twins with the postseason, don't the you think Romo may want to resign with the Twins too? Like, everyone's just think it's just that simple that Romo's going to want to come back and lose 90 games again. Yeah. Uh, we don't, he, because he's, he, Romo's going to say he loves everything, okay? <laughs> Sergio Romo is the nicest guy in the world. You can ask Sergio Romo about the worst scenario ever possible, and he will find a way to make it positive. He's the most positive nicest guy of course he's gonna say all the right things going out the door with Miami that he loves the guys here and he would maybe would love to be back I don't think that's realistic by the way at all zero I just don't see that happening I see him he's at the end of his career he's gonna want to win after experiencing that with Minnesota 
I think he goes right back to the Twins. Yeah, and, and and the one other guy that you know we didn't mention, Drew Steckenrider, depending on his health. Oh yeah, day. Drew, good old you Drew. Know? Yeah, whenever that time does come, that, that he can get back. That was ten now. seconds of time we can move right on from. Yep. There. All right. So now as we head toward really one of the positives of the season, especially in the first half, um, it's the starting pitching, and it's a complicated grade there with the starting pitching. So I, I would love to know your thoughts on. You know, overall, at the end of this season, you know, with the ups and downs, what your thoughts were on the Marlins starting pitching? That's the thing to be most optimistic and positive about for sure, because and I really love the fact that that Caleb Smith went out there on social media and 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 called himself out more or less for not having a great second half of the season. I still think he's going to be a really good pitcher in the big leagues and now can manage himself a little bit better. And as much as I kind of held the Marlins accountable for saying that you know, Don Mattingly said, Caleb Smith, oh, he'll be back after one start. He missed a month. Uh, as much as I called it, that was the right call, as it turns out. I was wrong. They were right. They, they needed to, to slow him down and slow his innings down. He's got to get stronger. He's got to get better. But I really like the fact that that's what he's saying, like holding himself accountable. Hey, like this was just not a good second half for me. Uh, I think Caleb Smith will be back and be back strong next year, and he'll be the number two starter. Sandy Alcantara showed a lot of improvement, maybe the most improvement of any player on the Miami Marlins this year. Fantastic Absolutely. end of the season. He's your opening day starter. So you have your one and you have your two. After that, as good as Zach Gallen was, he's no longer here. Right. And as good as Pablo Lopez was at the beginning of the season, you have to, unfortunately, be concerned with the way he looked in the second half, and you have to be concerned with injuries with him. So I think he goes into the season in the rotation next year, but, but with some question marks, no question. Mm. There's got to be uh, with some question marks for Pablo. And then beyond that, Jeremy, it's, uh, it, it's probably, to me, trying to find the dynamic of another uh, starting pitcher that they could get on the cheap that could give you some innings next year. And, and the one thing that I'll be curious about is, is which direction they, they choose to go. Uh, Eliezer Hernandez is, is I think more suited again for the bullpen, but whoever they do sign is probably going to be moved out of that starting rotation by the time May or June comes along. Cause I do believe that Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera will both be, in the rotation mm-hmm. next year. And Nick Nider is pitching in the Arizona Fall League. He would be a possibility as well. So that's where the curious part comes in for me is, is will they be signing starters that, that could end up potentially blocking those, those pitchers? And I wouldn't think that that's the smart way to go about it. So my guess is, is that they'll start next year with Alcantara, Caleb Smith, Pablo Lopez, Jordan Yamamoto, and then uh, another starter of some kind, and then slip in both uh, Sixto and Edward Cabrera into the rotation. So in April and May, the Marlins get very high grades for their starting rotation, and I would say that in June it was okay too, but but beyond Sandy in the second half of the season, right. it's a very low grade. So it's almost like, uh, like a, an A. I would give them an A for April and May, mm-hmm. and I w- in August and September I'd give them a D. <laughs> and then it's, and then somewhere in the middle in June. So it's like they get a middle of the road type grade, yeah, but this is what happens with young pitchers, Jeremy, they, they get tired and they slow down and you have to have reinforcements and, and Miami does not have the reinforcements that they had. Once you trade gallon, you kind of lose that a little bit. And, and Richards was, was pretty good at the beginning of the season too. So it was a very hard, steep fade 
uh, after May or June from this team, and that's something that they're going to have to rectify next year because uh, they cannot be in a scenario in the second half of the season where where and again, and again I've been so hard on Noessi, but they we we can't go back down that road again. You know, we we not specifically with Noessi. It's just you you can't that concept. You can't you know in in June or July say. Uh, you know, Derek Holland sitting in AAA. Maybe we should call him up and pick him up. And and that's no indictment on him either. It's just uh, some viability to to protect yourself from these deals in the second half is what I'd like to see. So a middle of the road grade, unfortunately for me, probably like a C plus overall with a with a, a great grade at the beginning of the season. It was fantastic until right. the wheels fell off a little bit. Right. Yeah. It'll be the the biggest part of that. I think next year is obviously going to come down to Pablo and, and Caleb's health specifically in terms of, can they, you know, throw a full season of innings? Um, can Caleb, you know, continue into the second half the way he had his first half this year. And if Pablo can stay healthy, you know, that's a formidable one, two, three, um, especially when you see Sixto and, and Cabrera coming up behind them later on. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, all at once between, you know, Pablo's injury and Caleb's injury and Gallon being traded and Yamamoto starting to fade and Richard's going to the bullpen and being traded. It all sort of, the wheels fell off all at once. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, so now moving on from positional grades, you know, just a few specific questions um, and then we can wrap this up. Uh, one question I wanted to ask you is, is sort of a surprise player that you saw this year. You know, some, something that, that in terms of whether oh, a player yeah, or yeah. you know, somebody that caught you off guard, something that was a surprise for you. Oh, John Birdie for sure. Yeah, it, it, yeah, oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, John, John Birdie was not. I did not have him on my radar at all to be anything, and he was great. He came up, ran hard, played hard, mm. hit the ball, big hits, stolen bases. I would say that if you ask the Marlins who performed the highest above their expectations, it would have to be John Birdie. No, nobody saw that coming. No one talked about John Birdie. Did one person mention no. John Birdie in March? No. Did one person that covers the Marlins or anyone else in Major League Baseball say, keep an eye on this, John Birdie? <laughs> no one. So to me, that was easily the biggest surprise. They found a Major League Baseball player in development uh, with John Birdie who, look, may not be a 150-game starter. I don't know. Maybe he is. But he, right. without a doubt, proved he's a Major League player and it will be on the 25-man roster next year. No question. Well, and so maybe he's the answer to this next question. Um, but a piece of the future that maybe you didn't anticipate being a piece of the future going into the season. I, the only other answer that I could possibly think of might be a guy like Harold Ramirez. No, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, Cooper, maybe Cooper. Yeah, because maybe Cooper I, I, like I just didn't know what Cooper would be at all. Right. And... And I, and I know he hates hearing this with the injuries, but that's, that's, mm. that's part of the talk. But even if Garrett Cooper is a 130-game player, he's still part of the future. Yeah. And I don't think that you can just say that Lewin Diaz is going to be great. We don't know the – I don't I mean, he could be, but we don't know that. I mean, Garrett Cooper is the opening day first – unless they sign uh, Bray or something like that. Mm -hmm. Eric Cooper is, is an opening day starting player next year. He did his job. He did better than what we thought. And I, and I didn't, I didn't think that he'd be this good. I did not. So I, I do think that he's part of the future. So I, I think that would be my answer. Unfortunately, no one else is really, 
Uh, no one else is really coming to mind. Eliezer Hernandez in different spots this year yeah. was better than I thought that he was ever going to be. He was a Rule 5 guy that I thought they were just going to bury in the minor leagues, but he came up and had some okay starts. Maybe he would be a possibility, but I, I can't go any further than that. I think I'm going to stop there. Yeah, I think Garrett Cooper also, one thing to look for is if there's an uptick in power next year. It, it, it's there. It's obvious. He's a big, strong guy. He hit, he hit enough to show that. I, I, think, yeah. I think 25 home runs is, is realistic. It's a reasonable goal. Yeah, that's a reasonable goal for a guy like Cooper. I, then, you know who I would have said, but it, it, it fell apart, was Chad Wallach, I would have said. Mm, it was May of last year. Chad Wallach year. was showing a lot offensively, making contact <laughs> and just clubbing yeah. the ball, and then unfortunately he had the concussion. So that's, that's who I would have said. Mm. But at the end of the year, I would say that Cooper was, was one that I didn't know. I, I thought Cooper would get a chance, but he's been, he was better than, than, uh, than a lot of people thought. So I'll, I'll put Cooper in there. And then last question, and then we can end on a positive note. But the last question is, is maybe the biggest disappointment of this season for you in terms of the Marlins? Oh, it's obvious. Yeah. Do I need right. to say it? No need to say it. All right. Who, who so, is it? Who is it? Who is it? I mean, is Lewis Prince? It's Lewis Prince. Mm, it's Lewis Prince. The only I, 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 the tweet, the first tweet that I sent out of the Major League Baseball season that the only way that the Marlins are going to be better than people think is if Lewis Brinson is better is better than he was last year. Yeah. And, he was, and he was worse. Yeah. And 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 again, you know, it's it's just one of those things where it's obviously mental. Some yeah. Of it, some of it's got to be, but but he and he's really has nothing to prove at the AAA level as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Mike Hill and Gary Denbo and Derek Jeter, but what I would do is I would I would trade him. Now, yeah. You you will not get anything for him, zero by the way. Mm-hmm. But I would I would trade him and and wish him well and get him into a different place where I I don't think he's ever coming back to burn you. But this is the third organization already. Uh, I think he needs a fresh start. Yeah. A baseball executive this season told me that they were just so surprised uh, that the Marlins chose him uh, of all the guys that they got in that trade to kind of, you know, hoist up there as the guy. And right. um, it was it, it turned out to be a pretty significant um, mistake there. And, and look, they could still do OK with that trade by seeing what Diaz and Harrison have to give. But I'm sorry, Lewis, buddy. You didn't you didn't get it done, man. It was two years. You struck out a lot. You didn't you didn't play well, man. I'm sorry. It's got yeah, to be and it, it's such a shame with with a kid that was such a a a bright spot off the field to start with this organization. But it, it, by the end of it, there were some stats that were you know that that really indicated just how yeah. how rough of a a couple of year stretch that was. So hopefully he does. We wish him well. He's a kid yeah. from South Florida. He should not be playing anymore with the Marlins. Right, season. and hopefully hopefully if he does get a fresh start, he can rejuvenate his career. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe I know it's it's sad and people will laugh. Japan, Korea. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's guys that come back. And there's guys Absolutely. that come back from that. Absolutely. Go, go there and hit 50 bombs, man. See all fastballs. Have at it. You know, go, go do that. Back. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. A good kid. It always answers every question. Has handled has handles yep. himself, at least from what I see, in the right way. But just hasn't, hasn't hit at all. Yep. And so as we wrap this up, I just want to ask, as we look into the 2020 season, um, what are the the biggest things that you're looking for as we head into the off season now and maybe some of the guys we spoke about who 
you know, you're excited to see play in 2020, maybe guys that you expect to take a big step in 2020. Um, you know, signs of positivity is basically what I'm looking for here. Uh, yeah, I know it's tough after over a hundred losses, but something of, you know, we've been pretty positive on this entire episode. Um, something of positivity headed into the 2020 year. I, I think that, that if the Marlins, even if they don't respend and reinvest the $20 million that they, uh, that, that, are, that came off the books, 25 million, whatever it is with Prado and Castro, I'm not going to hold them accountable to doing spending all that, but I am going to say this when you have major league baseball players and major league baseball players that are, that are not in the last year of their career, which is essentially this off season, they brought in three veterans with great veteran presence, Curtis Granderson in the off season, they brought him in, they brought in uh, Neil Walker, and then they took a flyer in spring training on Pedro Alvarez, who didn't make the team. Okay, mm-hmm. when you, when those are the names that you bring in, you are you are helping your clubhouse. You are not helping your major league baseball team. There is something to be said for having a little bit of protection in your major league lineup. They need to bring in a couple of major league hitters mm-hmm. that that you can count on on a nightly basis. And Don Mattingly has said this: that are going to give you professional at bats. They, they have to do that next year. And if they do that, I think it will make everybody better. I think you'll see improvements from a lot of the offensive players. They can do it on the cheap, and I'm fine with that. But, but $15 million has to be spent. Like, yeah. It has to be spent. So that's, that's what I'm hopeful for. And I'm hopeful that the starting pitching takes that next step and that we get a chance to see Edward Cabrera and Sixto Sanchez in May or in June of next year, because I think that could really spark a lot of positivity for uh, the starting pitching. They have as much starting pitching as any team to me, young pitching in baseball. And now that they've added some bats in the minors, who I don't think are ready yet, and it's still going to be a year or two, they can let that pitching carry the story in the first half of next year, and maybe even into the second half. Hmm. But I would like to see that starting pitching that is young backed up with major league baseball bats, one or two going into next year. I, I, uh, I, I think the bullpen will be fine. I think the bullpen will be better. I know that's crazy, but bullpens are very cyclical. They're up, they're down. Of course. The biggest mistake that they could make would be to give out big money to a major league baseball reliever. It would be a monster mistake. That never works. I Ever, totally never. One-year deal, Drew Pomerantz, two-year deal, two-year, six million, something like that, fine. Don't ever give out 40 or 50 million to a bullpen arm. They fade. It would be a terrible move to do that, and I hope they don't because these guys come and go. But overall, I think that's the direction that I would like to see going into next year. A couple of bats there and build off the starting pitching. And to me, I put Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera as the things that I'm looking most forward to seeing with the hope that we get to see Monte Harrison at some point in the big mm-hmm. leagues as well. Those are the three names that – and look, Jesus Sanchez is there certainly and, and uh, Lewin Diaz, Jazz Chisholm, all these kids that they have in the minors who are in the top. But right. I think those kids need some more minor league time. I don't want to see those kids rushed. But, but Sanchez, Cabrera, Harrison going into 2019 – or 20. That would be right. what I would want to see. Right, those three kids, and then hopefully the uh, the emergence of a full season of Isan Diaz as well. So 
That is your 2019 recap here on Swings and Mishes. Thank you guys for for listening to everything we had here to say about the Marlins. And um, we look forward to having many more episodes with you this offseason. May not be every single week, but we will keep things going. Obviously, Craig will have you posted on everything that the Marlins do this offseason. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate our page. Go to our website, swingsandmissions.com. And we look forward to speaking with you guys next week.